Uh, here to support Bernie because he's going to win. Do you really think that? I really think that. You're listening to Quoted, the Question of the Day podcast. I am Rebecca Smith. This is where we start with a question and see where the conversation goes. He's pulling out crowds of 10 to 30,000. Things like the Bernie campaign are really inspiring. It's the best thing we got going right now as far as somebody to help straighten out the problems we got going in this country. There's a lot of people here who are saying things like, you know what, yeah, we do need to fight climate change now, not later. He's got the movement, he's got all the different demographics pulling together. You might make me cry, I talk about my kids. We're like college kids, we're here to see Bernie talk. They're the ones that motivate me. LGBTQ rights, social justice. I want them to have a livable future, a livable planet, but I want them to be able to really afford health care. Medicare for and all. And not be saddled by, you know, crippling student debt. He's got the movement to win it and that's what we need. I want them to live in a world that's ruled by, you know, compassion instead of corporate greed. He appeals to a larger demographic instead of just a centrist, general, moderate. We do need national health care, not later, now. Someone that actually represents the people and not necessarily just the uh, special interest of uh, corp only corporations. Combat the pharmaceutical industry. There's a, a definite imbalance in our politics recently, and I think bringing in someone as progressive as Bernie hopefully brings some sort of balance where middle-class people can start to benefit more than they have in the last uh, decade or so. We don't need a centrist, we need a progressive movement, and that's what Bernie is all about. People are starting to ask these questions that before we're always told, well, you have to wait, your issue has to wait, your issue has to wait. And like, people are starting to rise up and say, no, like, we gotta deal with this now, and that's really inspiring. This country. I didn't endorse Bernie because I thought one person could solve all of our social problems. I endorse Bernie because of you. This is not just a campaign, this is a movement. A fight and a movement that has existed since the beginning of our country. The fight for the working class. Does anybody think that Joe could go to Michigan or Wisconsin or Indiana or Minnesota and say, vote for me? I voted for those terrible trade agreements. I don't think so. The Republicans, some in the media, some in our own Democratic Party, want, want to tell us what is and isn't pragmatic. Donald Trump thinks that climate change is a hoax. We believe that Donald Trump is a hoax. I don't like Donald Trump. Is that good enough for you? Bernie's the guy to beat Donald Trump. Yeah, we need somebody to do that fast. I don't think Biden's a good candidate to do it. He got too much of a, a dirty past, so why not Bernie? His message is pretty good. He has a lot of supporters that look like me, so why not? What do you look like? A colored person. <laughs> no, I have a lot of family in Atlanta, Georgia that support him, so. Biden lost me with the whole Russian thing. I didn't know he had a son over there with the companies over there in Ukraine and Bernie Sanders doesn't. <laughs> you, you know, you, you get what I'm saying though. It's, you find out certain stuff that you didn't know. It raised questions. That's all. I think a lot of people just like Trump. I, I think a lot of people like Trump. Because <laughs> it's easy to hate. It's harder to love people. He's the poster boy for hate right now. I just think it's easier to hate. Just like they say, bad news travel fast. Same thing. Why would, why would bad news travel fast? <laughs> I don't really take it personal. They vote who they vote for. You know, I just don't, don't want it to interfere with work. Last year, that was a, a pretty bad thing where a lot of people just started hating each other. and It's political bullcrap. My stepmom is a Trump supporter. <laughs> And that's fine with me. You're supposed to vote for who you want, right? 
So, whatever. They vote for what they want for them. So, yeah, go ahead, vote for them. So now you're out here selling buttons with a friend? friend of mine. So I just told him I'd help him out. Just like this corner here, that was at the RMC in Cleveland. A bunch of my family members was there, and like I said, we have a little business here. Um, most of them sold Trump shirts, Trump pins, and hats, and, and they made a killing. I sold Black Lives Matter shirts. They made five grand, I made 1500 But see, every action has a counteraction because he ended up getting elected, and I don't think everyone in Cleveland that sold those Trump shirts are really in his favor at this point in time. So it was a money thing for him, but I don't think it's so funny now. So they made a killing. And I was the only one, only booth selling Black Lives Matter. I had like brown, Hispanic Lives Matter, Asian Lives Matter. I, I, it was, people come up to me, you should take that down. Um, you know, just giving me crap about it. And all lives should matter. Yeah, it does. It just, at that point in time, it just looked like Black Lives Matters the least. And I have a lot of white friends. <laughs> we talk about this stuff all the time. They don't get it. They don't get it. I don't know. I can't tell. I'm not one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. But no, they don't get it. They don't get it. Standing in line to see Bernie. It is the night before Super Tuesday. We supported him back in 2016, and we're glad to see him on the ticket today. I was also a big Pete Buttigieg fan, and so I was disappointed that he dropped out, but it made sense. And I'm definitely willing to support Bernie. That's why I'm here today. Uh, we're at the River Center in St. Paul, and lots of people showing up. We are two hours before the doors open and we're standing in line waiting to get in. So I just saw my friend who looks like is going into uh, the floor. We're waiting to uh, go up to the balconies. I see people of a variety of different ages from young people to people my age. I'm 51. You know, everything in between just streaming past. It looks mainly, I'd say, younger people up to, you know, 17 to 50-ish. Lots of people. Everybody seems pretty happy good turnout so far? I'm not necessarily skeptical of Bernie, but I thought there were a couple better options. Uh, I really liked Pete Buttigieg. Um, I just feel like um, Bernie is kind of like radical almost, just like it's not necessarily his policies, it's more the way he presents himself that I have a problem with. I feel like, just this is just me personally, but I feel like the way he presents himself is very kind of eerily similar to the way Donald Trump presents himself, just like kind of like loud and rambunctious kind of, and it's just a little off-putting for me. That's really interesting because I actually, I haven't heard that point of view before. I find him to be really approachable. He seems very passionate and he's been caring about the issues for years. And I think that shows in the way that he presents himself. <laughs> I think he's funny. I think he has a great sense of humor and I appreciate that. I appreciate that, you know, I see him showing sincere compassion and concern, whether it's for veterans or people who are suffering through terrible, you know, medical debt. You know, there's just an integrity and a sincerity and a warmth there that to me means more than being beautifully well-groomed. And I notice he's taken care to comb his hair more than he did last time. So he's trying. The man's trying, you know. <laughs> you know, Bernie's a real progressive. You know, like I like to tell people, the problems that we have today you know, climate change and military war were all with us before Trump. And that's the result of, of conservative, moderate Democratic leadership. You know, my entire adult life, we've been led by moderate Democrats. Right after Jimmy Carter got off, people started getting afraid because Reagan won. So they thought that we had to go to a more right-wing type of approach to politics and uh, give in to the moneyed interests. And it's all been about the moneyed interests. There's been a quite a concerted effort by the corporate elite to take over our political process and they've really done a good job of doing that. I, as I look at things, um, this election is really 
where the cutting point is. If we don't make some changes now, we're in big trouble. The biggest thing that's at stake is that we just don't have time to fool around in terms of uh, the climate emergency. Um, And that's the biggest thing that I think we may really miss an opportunity. The oligarchs are, are running things for the most part. And, you know, they've got all these congressmen and congresswomen bought and paid for. Thank God we've got people like Bernie and we've got the Justice Democrats movement going. When you talk about positive things, that's one of those positive things. You know, when, when AOC and Rashida Tlaib and that got in, that was a big thing. That was really nice to see. We've got a lot longer to go. We've got a lot more to do. But like I say, this is a big election and this is uh, the edge of the knife. I'm here because I I really believe that we can't um, just sort of nibble away and take a moderate approach to problems like climate change, to people not having health care, to student debt, um, you know, to uh, criminal justice and the reforms that are needed. I feel like we need sort of a, um, you know, let's shoot for the moon, you know, New Deal kind of energy to focus our attention on problems that are hurting thousands of millions of people and are going to affect life for a long time to come. I'm a boomer. I'm a great old fan of Star Trek. Humanity was on the edge of disaster and all of a sudden came together and solved all their problems with ecology and, you know, crime and disease and all that stuff and you solved their political problems. So humanity came together and they formed this great society and that's what I want. Bernie's a real progressive. He has a, a history of being progressive. He's not just a change with the, with the time deal. He's been totally committed to being been anti-war, working, working for the working class his entire life because he comes from that background. I was alive when the Civil Rights Act came in and all that stuff, you know. I was very young at the time, you know. But, you know, we've, we've made some progress there. Same-sex marriage, that was a big step that we made forward. There's been a lot of um, improvements in... in um, you know, equality for women, we're still not there yet in a lot of ways, but we're making progress. People are making progress. Our society's making progress. Our political process is way behind. I campaigned for him in 2016, and I watched him get knocked down because of the superdelegates. You know, that'll be the same problem this time. Actually, what I hear Rebecca saying is that you had a terrible experience and got bulldozed at that convention. And that sounds miserable, and I probably wouldn't vote for the Democratic Party after going through that experience. To me, that doesn't mean that you can't do deals in politics. So it just depends on the circumstances. We're talking to Joel Clemmer, who is a delegate for Bernie Sanders. He is... <laughs> Three shades to the wind. What else do you do in a bar? (laughs) So I see through your clever ruse. You're going to record what I say now. (laughs) And then then when I come back from the convention, you're going to say, see how naive you were to think this. Yeah, please. Yeah, right. So far, my favorite clip from the 2004 Democratic National Convention is this one. One, two, three, four, five, seven people in a taxi. <laughs> it's a little tight, but cozy, but a good ride. We'll get there. One warm, happy, dysfunctional family. <laughs> and if you listen closely, you can hear the cab bottoming out on every bu- <laughs> at every bump that we hit. So, uh, who's up for drinking? Let's drink. Yeah, let's there. drink. Let's go drinking. It's a light moment in the midst of drama. It's drama that started when presidential candidate Dennis Kucinich asked his delegates to cast their vote for John Kerry. Or as I like to say, John Kerry. I'm disgusted by Kerry. Um, I am 
not happy that Kucinich uh, is endorsing him before the convention. In order to continue the movement that he's begun and to be able to work within the Democratic Party to create change, this is a way of giving our, our campaign and our progressive movement credibility to be able to move forward. From their point of view, from their point of view, and while we disagree with it, that's how he sees it. I, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm just uh, unhappy with the Democratic Party in general. I believe that we have a role to play and a voice if John Kerry becomes president. And, and I think that Dennis is a lot closer to what happens on the Hill. And when he said that basically government is shut down, I mean, that to me is more powerful a reality than anything else. So if Dennis wants me to raise my voice and vote for Kerry, then that's what I'm prepared to do. I am, I am torn because this is, like I said, this is what Dennis is asking of me and the others. Even if Kerry does get the nomination, the more show of dissent and, you know, a strong feeling that they can be free to vote for Kucinich, I think that might give the Democratic Party more credibility in the eyes of all of those people that are totally disenfranchised by both parties right now. And that's maybe more important than impressing the leadership of the Democratic Party right now. 50% of the people in this country don't vote, and the higher the election turnout is, the more progressive the results are. So at some point, someone needs to reach out to that 50%, whatever party it is, and I would like the Democrats to do it. And I think a show of support for Kucinich within the Democratic Party would work toward that. You know, I'm a Kucinich delegate, and I, he's led, you know, he's been a leader, and I'm willing to follow him on this, so... That's sort of how I feel about it. Kerry is not earning our votes. Kerry does not deserve the progressive vote. He's not taking progressive stance. So I, wouldn't, I would have a very hard time supporting him if I was a Kucinich delegate. My fear is that, and this is, a, this is the political fear, that it'll splinter, that we'll get 25 votes going to Kerry and 60 or however many we have left going to Dennis, which would be the worst of all possible worlds. The best of all possible worlds is everybody doing it and then having a visible exercise on the floor between the two campaigns where we go for party unity uh, or at least we go for unanimity and that's a real tradition at least among Minnesota Democrats. We do it all the time. Hell, in really hard-fought fights we do it all the time. And I can't imagine frankly that the Kerry folks won't figure out their, their floor people are good. They're going to figure out that they need to do it. Because I don't think at this point they can afford to trivialize us. If they do, unfortunately, I think it goes a long way to electing George Bush. Heck, they wouldn't even allow us to have our peace signs on the convention floor. You were not allowed to say anything about Iraq. And we were in the middle of a war in Iraq. <laughs> You're trying to make trouble. What? I thought we were going to talk politics. Why do you want to get rid of superdelegates? I would like to have the people making the choice, making the choice. And if they're going to have superdelegates, we need to know up front what their politics are. How many? 500 and some of them are there. If you did away with that kind of a delegate, would you want to run against a, a, an A.B. Klobuchar or a um, your state auditor just to be a delegate to the convention? I don't, I don't think you'd want to try that. The superdelegates are an invention of something called the Hunt Commission, which was a reaction to Jimmy Carter and to George McGovern. And it was a counter-revolution by party insiders to ensure that insurgencies don't bubble up suddenly, unpredictably, and take over the party from them. And I agree with Carla that the vast majority of votes ought to be exercised according to the presidential preference poll uh, conducted in the state. I don't feel as strongly about 10 positions, and that would be the federal reps and the federal senators who I could see going to the convention by virtue of position. DNC members um, and uh, the and the party chair, who absolutely should be a secondary and not a primary decision maker, um, and the others that are super delegates, 
I don't think should have that status. I agree. You could tweak the superdelegate concept. If the Republican Party had something like the Democratic Party has, there's a good chance there'd be no Trump. He's, he's, he's a too progressive, you know, and, and uh, people complain about social democrat. Well, what does that mean? That means programs, programs for people. With the Obamacare, I found that to be, I, w I was on Obamacare and I found that to be um, really important for a tough time in, in my life. And I, I think everybody deserves that. Healthcare should be a right social you know just like Medicare and, and Social Security it's for the good of the people and people are afraid of that it's uh, totally befuddles me <laughs> do you think that, that that kind of smearing can hurt in the general elections it's silly silly he stands the best chance of winning of anybody Why? He, because he knows what he's what he stands for the question that we have got to ask ourselves which is a terribly terribly serious question is who is the best candidate, which campaign is the best campaign to defeat Trump? And that is, that is a very important question because every Democrat millions of independents and some republicans want to make sure we defeat trump so the question is what campaign is best suited to beat trump and let me tell you why i think we are now joe in his campaign has received campaign contributions from more than 60 billionaires. Does anybody think that we're gonna bring about the change we need in America when you are indebted to 60 billionaires? At a time when the American people are sick and tired of endless wars, I help lead the opposition to the war in Iraq, the worst foreign policy blunder in the modern history of America. Joe Biden voted for that war. I'm a student at the University of Minnesota. San Jose, California. Baltimore, Maryland. I am... Uh, in Cleveland, Ohio, I would like to see Senator Kerry distinguish himself. I would himself. like to see John Kerry distinguish himself from George Bush. On issues of, such as Iraq. Taking a stand against the Patriot, Patriot Act for bringing the U.N. into Iraq and bringing our soldiers home. Now the war is illegal. It never should have happened. It needs to be stopped as soon as possible. Uh, it was a uh, wrong war, and we have to make a, uh, a shift in, in the focus to not allow one more soldier die and one more uh, civilian, innocent civilian die. And, and uh, it's a high goal, but uh, we need to start moving in that direction. I would like John Kerry to take more of a peace stance and a long-term view of what kind of world we're creating. Bringing in all the countries of the world, I want to get out of NAFTA and WTO, and I want universal health care. NAFTA and CAFTA and WTO, we need to get out of all of those immediately. Environmental friendly legislation. There's a lot of um, discourage, discouragement because of his um, uh, not taking a proper stand in regards to all the soldiers being killed left and right and all the Iraqi uh, civilians dying. John Kerry uh, has uh, to really change his tune um, if uh, certainly to get my vote. I literally know dozens of people who would love to vote for John Kerry. 
but are not ready to do that because he is not different enough from George Bush on the issues of national security, terrorism, and the handling of Iraq. Unless he makes a stand against Bush, I will be voting for Nader. I voted against a horrific bankruptcy bill supported by the credit card industry. Joe voted for that bill. And time and time again, Joe has been on the floor of the Senate talking about the need to cut Social Security, Medicare, and veterans programs. I have spent my life fighting not only to oppose those cuts, but to expand Social Security. Now, I say those things not to denigrate Joe Biden, who is a friend of mine. I say those things because it is absolutely imperative that we defeat Trump, that we have a candidate agenda and a record that can defeat Trump. And not only is our record different, the nature of our campaign is different. We are running the strongest grassroots campaign any candidate has run in the modern history of America. And let me tell you, if I'm the Democratic candidate here in Minnesota, 2020, the election will not be close. We'll blow them away. He doesn't have to think about the issues, you know, he knows what, he's, what, he's, what his issues are and he, he doesn't need a, a be written down in front of him, he can be spontaneous and knows exactly what he's talking about. And he's strong, I mean, he's been beaten up by this Democratic Party and, and the, the, the Republicans and look what he's taken, you know. I mean, if anybody can take a beating and still stand in there, it's him, you know. He's got support of the people. You know, the, to me the problem is not the Republicans are beating Trump. Is getting democratic support. Even if it gets into a contested thing, the people at the DNC have to really look hard. What they're thinking about doing, if they try and rig it, is destroying the Democratic Party. Like I said, the uh, superdelegates, you know, they can swing the vote. That's the problem. You know, that's what happened last time. You know, 2016, they saw what happened with Bernie and the convention and the dirty politics that were played there and everything like that. The progressives that are Democrats, they'll probably vote for blue no matter who. But when you talk about, uh, Bernie brings in a lot of independents and a lot of people from outside of the regular Democratic establishment. Are those people going to vote for a Democrat? Oh, I, I couldn't speculate about that, but I just think there's powerful interests that want to maintain the status quo. You know, whether it's in the media or, or corporate interests that are, are the main donors in the party. So. The Democratic Party tries to <laughs> jinx the, you know, the um, Bernie nomination, and he's leading right now. I mean, the, the polls are looking good for him. But if they go into a contested convention and they try and pull the uh, nomination away from him, if he deserves it, you know, and I think he will, then they're looking for some big trouble in this country. For one thing... Even though I will vote, I will vote for the best candidate, even if it is the lesser of the two evils. But there's a lot of people that aren't going to, and I think we're, we'd end up with another four years of Trump. And Trump has already spoken about the fact that he would like to be the leader for life. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with the Democratic Party, but I, I will be severely disillusioned. And I think a lot of other people, a lot of young people I know, will 
may walk away from the party altogether, depending on what kinds of shenanigans unfold at the convention. Does that concern you? Um, not if it leads to something more powerful. What I've noticed, and I think is worth noting, is this is a young people. Bernie's got the youth. He had the youth last time. Hillary did nothing to, be, to appeal to the youth, you know. But Bernie had the support for, you know, for college, for they need medical care. It's their future. They know climate change is a big deal, and this is what they have to face, you know. The uh, entrenched, the entrenched uh, Democrats are not paying attention. You know, they're afraid, well, what about the young people, you know, in the, in the world that they have to face? You know, they should be listening to who's calling for this, you know. They're, yeah, what they're really afraid of is not Trump not, or Bernie not winning. They're afraid of losing their cush jobs. So, you know, so many of the mainstream Democrats are as bad as the Republicans. Anyhow, they've got paid lobbyists and they're dependent on that money, you know. Like if we, you know, like if we can um, coalesce progressive people, young people, people of color um, who aren't afraid of, um, you know, the words like socialism, then I think that could be a, an exciting di direction. Democratic Party, it needs to shift. It needs to change, you know. My minister yesterday talked about people are hanging on to the riverbank, grasping at the riverbank, but they need to let go and go with the flow, yeah. Leading up to the 2003 George W. Bush invasion of Iraq, there were a number of protests. This next conversation comes from one of those protests, which was probably organized by the Anti-War Committee in Minneapolis. When I spotted Ken Pentel, a well-known Green Party member who has run for Minnesota governor, he was engaged in a lively conversation with a guy I did not know at the time. Do we want to live with two major parties, which generally right now people identify as one corporate party, or do we want to have a more authentic expression of diversity? And that's what I'm hoping will come out of this movement, is that uh, there will be a more authentic position of how we solve our problems nonviolently. No other party's offering that. The Greens are striving for that. Democrats have not proven anything even close to that. But I mean, well... I mean, you t I think your view is the Democrats is just one homogenous group. Not one true at all. I'm okay. inspired by many Democrats. Okay. No, I'm not. I know that it's the DNC, the DLC. It's that faction that is in power. Right. But I think but size makes a difference power. here. Okay. Size makes a difference. Bigness creates this kind of um, undefinable entity. Uh -huh. I think if you have smaller parties that are more defined, that energizes the electorate. But the problem in our system, a small party that you know garners three percent of the vote will never win any. I mean, like, I mean, it's just incredibly difficult for a, for a small party to win a statewide seat or social security, uh, Medicare, uh, uh, a variety of things emerged out of small parties like the Socialist Workers Party in the early 1900s got no more than 2% of the vote in presidential races, but the ideas they presented transformed politics in the United States. So not always is change going to be uh, indicated through how much you get in votes or percentages or right. numbers. It's going to be about the passion and the right. ideas. Are they genuine? Are they fresh? Are they transformative? And are they going to be authentic change that's going to heal conditions in society? But and if that's the case, people I mean, are going to it's a, it's a adopt gamble. them it's as a good gamble, ideas. I mean, because, I mean, if you look at the last presidential election, I mean, I don't care who you talk to, but I mean, it's like if Nader didn't run, Gore, Gore would have won. I mean, I, I mean, you might have a different view on that, but it's pretty clear to me, Gore would have won. And, and so we're taking this huge gamble by letting Bush, you know, steer the country to war. You know, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna put some pretty right-wing justices in the Supreme Court that will, we want that are gonna sit there for 30 years. And I mean, these are like some, some, I mean, they, these are some like, some actions that are irreversible. And so I mean, it's, I mean that. I, I mean, you're right, like the Green Party did raise some issues with, you know, the, their last presidential election, 
and you know and subsequent subsequently but it's just i mean are we willing to let the republicans rule in the well, my position is this my attitude is this i want people to participate people like me i wouldn't have been in the electoral arena i wouldn't have voted if Ralph Nader didn't run. And if Al Gore doesn't have enough in him to win the election, that's not my responsibility. It's not Ralph Nader's responsibility. That's no. a responsibility of the Democratic it's, it's Party. Not. I just I'm looking for something that's more authentic to the, the conditions we face today. And the no the Democrats and Republicans don't even come close mm-hmm. to dealing I, with the but, real issues of the day. But the thing is you talk about parties like well, number one, I mean you talk about a party like that is the be all end all, whereas like I mean, what you said earlier about principles, you know, like if, if you really want to change something and make a difference based on right. principle, then it doesn't matter what party you're in if you if you can make that change. And also, I mean, I mean, the parties are, I, I got involved in the, in the Democratic Party for the first time ever. So, I mean, my, my view is if all those people that really, you know, have these principles get involved in the party, like they would ask, like all the Greens that are active in the Green Party, if they all join the Democrats, they would rule the Democrats. I mean, they oh, would, yeah. they would hey, ac- absolutely. It would, and, and then it would they seem can, that way. Okay, it would seem that can, way. The thing is, they, that would be, they can create their own platform. They can say, no, we're, we're doing it our way now. And, right. and, and the party becomes more representative of those ideals, not, right. not just the corporate. It doesn't have to be about the cor- big corporations. That's a good point. And let me give you an example. One, in 1992, I, I voted for Bill Clinton because I thought he was really p- committed to delivering on a single-payer health care system for this country. Never happened. I uh, voted for Bill Clinton, and then I ended up organizing against Bill Clinton uh, with the biggest grassroots movement I've ever seen around economic issues trying to stop the North American Free Trade Agreement. And the Democratic president and the Democratic Leadership Council shoved down the throat of this nation a trade agreement that is basically setting the planet into a down a spiral downward uh, and so in my opinion uh, all that effort all that push from green energy on that was supposed to translate into a president respecting the grassroots of his party and his base uh, did not work he completely turned on his base and thumbed his nose at it and then stuck a knife in their stomach asking them to say thank you for him, to him while he ran again in 96 Had it not been for that girl on the bridge, things might have turned out differently. When I got home, I googled Dennis Kucinich. I just try to stay focused on what I can do. I can't predict, but like what makes, when I feel hopeless, what makes me feel better is to go out and knock doors, you know, to talk to people, to tune out of um, the media noise and just actually have conversations with voters. I used to watch a lot of news, so it's all negative, so hmm, I start watching it. I might go on CNN or Yahoo for a little bit, but I don't really watch the news as much now. Media controls a lot of society. News does. They try to scare you. I don't recognize um, the coverage of Bernie supporters as being divisive and and mean-spirited and toxic because in volunteering for, for Bernie, everybody I've met has been really thoughtful, caring, compassionate, motivated by concern for other people. And so that's been frustrating. And also the idea of Bernie being divisive is, is very frustrating to me too because I just see him as somebody who's representing care and compassion and um, integrity in this race. So it's, it is frustrating to me. I feel bad about people that are, are, are only watching one source of news. You know, they, if they just watch Fox News or if they just watch CNN or if they watch, you know, any of the local channels and stuff like that. They're not going to get all the information that they need to to make decent choices. They have a big impact on what's happening. I'd recommend uh, looking at news sources like uh, I found Truth Out really helpful. Um, the podcast Feel the Burn from the campaign is actually a pretty it's is an interesting antidote to the mainstream media. Um, you know, just looking at a little bit more independent news sources 
and actually looking at his record because the idea that he hasn't accomplished things is, is false. What I've researched about him is that he's followed through with a lot of his goals and I think some of the other candidates aren't are kind of like going back and forth between certain policies that like they kind of want the public to like go along with um, and he seems like he genuinely like is just behind all of his policies and he has been fighting for them for a really long time. And I, I wish more people understood that and understood his actual record versus what's being said about him. Bernie says is we have to talk to everybody. I'm a musician and a little while back we had a um, open mic night down at the beer stoop where I used to, you know, hang out with these guys. And uh, a couple of the guys were Republicans, right? And we've had some really good discussions politically and stuff, you know. And they try giving me a hard time and stuff like that, but I try giving them a hard time. If I try and talk to them about how corrupt Trump is or whatever, that's not going to go anywhere, right? Because that's just going to get their backs up and everything. But when I start talking about Medicare for All, right, and they start asking me questions and that, you know, well, how are we going to pay for it? And I say, well, how do we pay for our insurance now? Right? It's like we got to pay premiums. We got to pay all that stuff. We're paying co-pays. We're paying, you know, deductibles, all that stuff. Well, Medicare for All just takes all that administration stuff out of it and gives us a cheaper um, health care plan. You know, it, co- it costs us less and stuff. And we can actually get a better health care plan through Medicare for All. They now they think that Medicare for All is a good idea. It's surprising how many voters just surely aren't paying attention. Like some people I talked to today didn't even really understand what the primary was. And so when you talk to them about what he actually stands for, um, they're often like, yeah, I believe in that. I stand for that. So that's that's very helpful. I think sometimes it's harder to move people who've, who've you know, already really invested in and aligned with a certain candidate. But I think definitely people who are still undecided are, are very persuadable toward Bernie. We need to unite as a people. And I personally think that Bernie is the best person to do that. So let's go back to that conversation where Ken Pentel, the Green, was engaging a progressive Democrat, my friend Alex, about spoilers. You know the drill. Voting for a third party is wasting your vote. Well, there's actually a solution for this problem. Ranked choice voting helps us minimize the need for defensive voting. Let's look at the Fair Vote Minnesota website. Ranked choice voting is a means of being able to make sure that any election is decided at a 50 plus one majority. It's right there. Ranked choice voting is a simple change to the ballot that allows voters to rank candidates in order of their preference on the ballot. These rankings are used to conduct an instant runoff to ensure winners receive a majority of voter support. Okay, let's take Jesse Ventura, governor of Minnesota, for one term. He won by how much? He His votes were somewhere in the Upper 30%, I think, something to that effect. So he was from the Independence Party. Who are the other candidates? Mo? No. No. Humphrey? Yes, it was Skip Humphrey and Norm Coleman. So they each take about a third of the vote. Uh, Roughly, yes. We have a governor, had one, who did not win anywhere near a majority of the vote. That is correct. So, so explain to me how instant runoff voting would work in this scenario. Well, it's ranked choice voting is what they call it these days. Oh, that's right. Right. So, so explain how it works. Everybody votes for first choice, a second choice, a third choice, and so on. You tally the first round of votes, and if the leader does not have a 50% plus one majority... You then go to the person who had the the lowest number of first place votes and say, what were their second choice votes? And then add those to the original tallies. And then we continue a process like this until somebody reached that 50% plus one threshold. 
If you do not know about this voting system, rank choice voting, you should definitely take a look at it. You can go to fairvote.org to find out more. In the meantime, this next clip comes from a review of how ranked choice voting had been going in St. Paul, Minnesota. Amy Brenmon, the very first meeting I went to for Fair Vote in 2006, I think, late six or early 2007, was at Amy Brenmon's home. I don't know if you remember that, but I remember it. It is cool to be here today with Jean Massey and Ellen Brown because, I, yes, I do remember the meeting. I really cut my teeth in St. Paul politics um, doing ranked choice voting work. It's hard for me to believe, but it's been 10 years since we passed the initiative, the citizen-prompted initiative for ranked choice voting in 2009. And our first implementation was in 2011 following the Supreme Court decision that it was, in fact, constitutional, despite some people questioning that. Um, it was a voter-led initiative. It won on the ballot with over almost 55% of the vote, as I remember, and has withstood efforts to repeal it since then. And the reason? Because voters like it. It's been proven to increase voter participation, to uh, produce more civil campaigns because people are trying to get second choice votes, not just first choice votes. It's brought more choices to the voters, so more people on the ballot when more voters are at the polls. And it's ensured that winners have broad support, that people aren't uh, elected by a minority of the people voting in the election. Jane, uh, I don't know if you were at the first meeting I was at, but you were involved then, I think, and you were... I know we hung out a lot together back in 2008 and 9. Yes, we, we did. So nice to see you. And we did. And I will tell you that um, Fair Vote and you, Ellen, Jeannie, and had a big impact on me in terms of influencing my interest and ultimately my support of ranked choice voting. But the person who, who first talked to me and really compelled me to consider it was a then student at Mounds Park Academy by the name of Libby Kantner. Um, Libby is now a law student. Um, she was a counsel aide here for many years. And, um, and I think Libby presented it to me as a high school student and made it clear to me that anything that a high school student could get that excited about in terms of making elections work in a much more positive and constructive way was something that I should pay attention to. Um, in terms of, of my election this year, I, I kind of have to go back to my election in 2015, also a ranked choice election. But in 2015, the DFL process, in which there were five candidates running for DFL endorsement, was the whole DFL process ended by um, the end of February. and. And then I got the DFL endorsement. I expected that a couple of those candidates might end up deciding to get into the general election. They did not do that. And so I ran unopposed for my first election in 2015, which while at the time it was, wow, my life is really simple. I mean, I continued to door knock and everything because I was well aware that um, that I had to campaign because otherwise people would not even know that they had a new city council person. But I will say that I was well aware that this is not the way anybody should get into office, especially for a first um, election. And so when I ran this time, I won the endorsement in May and I went forward, but there were three candidates who got into the race in the coming months, so that by um, the end of filings, I had three opponents. Mm -hmm. And the, I think the, the single best thing about that was that Ward 7, which is part of the, a big part of the east side, has notoriously low turnout in every election, but especially in odd-year elections. The turnout was tripled over mm -hmm. 2015, and, and that's what we all want to see, and it's critically important going into a presidential election year. And it's 
because of all these benefits that we're seeing ranked voting being accepted in more and more jurisdictions. Jean? I really appreciated the comment about this being the new normal. It raises the expectation that people know they can run, have a voice at the table, and really run to campaign to all of the voters. So it's hugely successful. Just a couple of years ago, ranked choice voting was facing repeal in St. Paul, and those days are done. I think the establishment of ranked choice voting speaks for itself. So congratulations to St. Paul. The good news is St. Paul was not the only city to use ranked choice voting on election day this year. St. Louis Park rolled it out in Minnesota, and it was used in seven other cities across the state of, or around the country, including two cities in Utah. So when we think that there aren't smaller, more rural communities using ranked choice voting, Utah is uh, showcasing that it can work uh, in those communities well. We also saw, saw it implemented in East Point, Michigan. East Point, Michigan adopted ranked choice voting as a result of a voting rights lawsuit, and it worked exceptionally well in that community as well. So it's now used in a growing number of cities. It's hard to even keep track anymore <laughs> across the country and now in uh, states are beginning to use it. Maine became the first state and Maine not only uses it for their uh, legislative and state races, they now adopted it for use in presidential elections and will use it in the general election 2020 for president. I just learned today that Massachusetts ballot collectors or signature collectors collected more than sufficient to put ranked choice voting on the ballot in Massachusetts mm -hmm. next year. Hopefully they'll be joined by Alaska. That puts Minnesota at a minimum in place four <laughs> when we decide to go uh, statewide here in Minnesota. With so many communities bubbling up and we've got four potential ballot measures next year from Bloomington and Minnetonka to Red Wing and Rochester, we're hoping to really accelerate that momentum and have the opportunity to consider ranked choice voting statewide here within a couple of years and the kind of success that St. Paul has created has just provided that avenue and that pathway for that acceleration. So again, kudos to St. Paul. It has been a leader, not just in Minnesota, but nationally, and now cities like New York City stand on the broad shoulders of St. Paul <laughs> in making ranked choice voting happen. So I think we could all agree that if we had had ranked choice voting in the Republican presidential election, or the Republican primaries, rather, in 2016, we would probably have a different president than we do now. And similarly, we have this raft of democratic presidential contenders and difficult to make sense of them and the most percent anybody's getting in polls is 34 or 32 or something like that. Um, tell us a little bit about the use of ranked voting but in some states in the presidential primary. Right, uh, great question. So after 2016, the Democratic Party nationally asked all states to either if they're gonna stay with a caucus to make it available for remote voters. Or go to a primary. Most states went to primaries. But now with so many candidates on the ballot, many states ask the question, well, how are we really going to accomplish achieving a candidate with broad support without ranked choice voting? So those states that legislatively could get a quick law passed to make that primary a ranked election, they did that. So, Five states are going to use it for the presidential primary. It was going to be six, including the caucus in Iowa, but that no longer is going to be the case. But five other cities will use it in the presidential primary, and then Maine will use it in the general election for primary. Hopefully, Minnesota will be using a ranked ballot for presidential elections by 2024. It's really nonsense that we wouldn't be using a ranked ballot for either party. Um, in 2016, we saw a broad number of candidates on the Republican side. We needed ranked choice voting for that election. We need it for the Democratic election this year, and it just makes most sense for presidential primaries thanks. and general elections, of course. Yeah, thanks. So my sense now, maybe this is overly optimistic, is that with more and more cities adopting it, with the state of Maine leading the way, but other states soon to follow, and with a number of states using it in the Democratic presidential primary this, well, early next year, that it won't be long before it swept the nation, much like gay marriage has swept the nation, and suddenly it will become a default almost at the national level for national elections. So keep your fingers crossed, keep your feet on the ground, and keep working to make ranked choice voting more broadly adopted throughout Minnesota 
and nationally. students we know how big of a problem student debt is and so um, his wanting to cancel student debt and make colleges more affordable for people is really compelling. Yeah I mean I guess I'm on the same page with that that student debt is a huge problem although his policies are pretty extreme with canceling all student debt and maybe not entirely realistic um, I still think it's a good like goal to have and to work towards and he is fighting really hard for it which is like a good thing if congress can give a trillion dollars in tax breaks two years ago under trump to the one percent and large corporations you know what we can do we can cancel all student debt in this country modest tax on Wall Street speculation. And we together are going to end the international embarrassment of the United States being the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all people as a human right. Over a hundred years ago, Teddy Roosevelt talked about universal health care and presidents throughout the years, including Barack Obama and many others, have talked about health care as a human right. Now is the time to end the talk. Now is the time for action. Together, we're going to take on the healthcare industry that made a hundred billion in profits last year. We're going to take them on and pass a Medicare for all single payer program. And I'll tell you this, are you ready for a very radical proposition? All right. I don't want anybody fainting or collapsing. We've got some EMS people there. Here it goes. Hold your breath. Are you ready? Our administration will believe in science. A lot of those things are going to come about slowly. A lot of the changes we've had in some society have come about slowly. What Bernie's asking for is a big change in our society. Same-sex marriage didn't pass because people aren't paying attention. Most people are not racist. Most people believe in, in uh, equality with the sexes. And when you look at the polls, the majority of Americans are for Medicare for all. The majority of Americans are for a $15 minimum wage. The majority of Americans are for the Green New Deal. They're for all these things that Bernie's putting out there. That's a really good sign. People are much more pragmatic. They want plans and not pipe dreams. I am the candidate that brings that, and I think that's why we are surging across the country. Well, Klobuchar just dropped out today, so it can't be Klobuchar. Buttigieg. No, Klobuchar left today. What? Just 
that has momentum. And this is a movement that's going to send Bernie Sanders to the White House. And let me tell you, if I'm the Democratic candidate here in Minnesota, 2020, the election will not be close. We'll blow them away. Trump will have endless amounts of money. His billionaire friends will pour in an unprecedented amount of money. Trump lies all of the time. He will discredit any Democratic candidate that goes without saying Trump will merge federal agencies to play a role in his campaign because he has no shame and does not believe in the rule of law. That's a fact. But we will defeat Trump not just because of me, but because of you.